welcome of the service is when we open up your word. And Lord, I, I'm just a man. Um, I'm not worthy to preach your word. But Lord, I, I ask that you would just please help. Uh, we, we know that every time the Bible is opened, the scriptures are profitable. And Lord, I ask that you just help us to be able to look at these verses, Lord, and to be able to get something from them, to be challenged, to learn something, Lord, to be encouraged by your word. We love you, Lord, in your precious name I pray. Amen. Okay, well, we're there in Acts chapter number 16. And if you actually, if you go back to uh, the last verse of chapter 15, the Bible says, And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. If you remember last week, when we were in Acts, we talked about how Paul and Barnabas split ways. They were, I got an argument about John Mark. And uh, now Paul has taken Silas, and he went on his second missionary journey. And the book of Acts continues on with that story. And chapter 16 uh, is really just continuing on with uh, the story there of Paul's second missionary journey. And if you look at verse number 1 of chapter 16, the Bible says, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek. Now, the first point I'd like to bring out of this passage is we find training for the ministry. Training for the ministry. Paul finds a young man here, Timothy, as we know him. Timothy is his, first, his, his full name there. And he has this young man, Timothy. It's the first time we've been introduced to uh, Timothy. Now, we know that Timothy is a, a very uh, you know, well-known character in the Bible. There's two books named after him, the books of First and Second Timothy. And the Bible tells us here about Timothy, that, or Timotheus as he's referred to in Acts 16. When Paul found him, he said there, if you look at the last part of verse 1, it says, uh, named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman. I want you to see this. A certain woman, which was a Jewess. Okay, so she was a Jewish woman. She was a Jew, but she wasn't following the religion of, of Judaism because the Bible says, and believe. That means she got saved, okay? Salvation is when you believe. So she believed, but I'd like you to see this, but his father was a Greek. So the Bible there tells us his mother was, he tells us, you know, the culture she came from, the, the heritage she came from, she was a Jew, and believed, and then but there is showing us his father in contrast to his mother, and it says, but his father was a Greek. So we get his heritage, but notice what's missing. We're not told that his father believed. We're not told that his father was saved. Now some people might say, well, his father might have been saved, they just didn't mention it. But see, the Bible doesn't just leave things out for no reason. The Bible goes to, you know, it makes sure to tell us that his mother believed, she was a Jew and she believed, and then it says his father was a Greek. But it doesn't tell us that they believe. Let me prove it to you even more. Go with me uh, quickly, and we'll be back to Acts 16. That's our text for tonight, obviously. But go with me to 2 Timothy, the book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 2. 2 Timothy, towards the end of your New Testament. 2 Timothy, chapter number... Uh, I'm sorry, I said number 2. Chapter number 1. 2 Timothy, chapter number 1. Look at verse number 5. The books of First and Second Timothy were books that Paul wrote. Obviously, the Holy Spirit wrote them, but he used Paul to pen down these books. And they're really books written by Paul, a, uh, a seasoned uh, minister there, uh, and a missionary who's been in the field for a long time. And he's writing to this young pastor, Timothy. Timothy is pastoring now. And in the books of second, First and Second Timothy, he's teaching him about the ministry. And he's telling him about how things ought to be done in church and things of that matter. But in the introduction, of 2 Timothy, if you look at verse 5, he refers to and he talks to his uh, about Timothy's 
uh, grandmother and mother. If you look at 2 Timothy chapter number 5, look what it's, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter number 1, look at verse number 5. 2 Timothy chapter number 1, and look at verse number 5. The Bible says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is, in, that is in thee, and notice what he says, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Do you see that? Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. The, the Bible goes to great extent to show us the biblical heritage, the Christian heritage that Timothy received. And the Bible says, when I call, Paul said, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, and notice what he says, Timothy, the faith that is in you, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Now go back to Acts 16. It's very interesting there that the Bible goes to great lengths to tell us that his mother was saved. She was a Jew, she was a believer. The father, it says, was a Greek, but it doesn't mention he's a believer. And in 2 Timothy, he, he, he goes to even further to tell us the names of his grandmother, saying his grandmother was a believer, his mother was a believer, and that same faith was passed down to Timothy. Now you say, well, what is the purpose of that, or what is the point of that? The point of that is this, you ought to be encouraged to know that even in a you know, sometimes people tell me as a pastor, okay, you know, uh, I, I, I'm divorced, and I don't have a, a, a God man in the house, or maybe you say, I, I'm married to an unbeliever, you know, can I still raise my children for God? And the answer is this, all it takes is the influence of one person. Look, Timothy's father was a Greek, was an unbeliever, was probably in false religion, but Timothy grew up to be a great preacher of the Word of God. Why? Because one mother, because one grandmother, because one family member decided they were going to take a, uh, you know, an influence and they were going to take a, uh, an opportunity there in this young man, and they made sure that he was around, you know, believers. They made sure that he was around the Word of God. They made sure that he was in church. So none of us have an excuse, if, you know, to say, oh, well, I'm just a single mother, or I'm just a single father, or I'm married but my spouse isn't a believer. You can still raise your children for God. You got, but notice what notice what's very interesting about, and here's some good advice, about what this, you know, mother did with her son. Where there was no male influence of Christianity, you know what she did? She took her son Timothy and she brought him to Paul and she said, here, influence. You know what she did? She brought him around Christian godly men and said, I want you to influence my son and I want you to help him. And Timothy ended up being trained by Paul. You know, and, and we, ought to, we ought to take great encouragement in knowing that, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, this idea, Hillary Clinton uh, gave a famous preach a few, you know, and she didn't come up with this, she, she stole it from them. But this idea, this philosophy that our world has today, that it takes a village to raise a child. No, it doesn't. It takes one godly parent, it takes one godly pastor, one godly missionary, one Paul, one Eunice, one somebody to stand up and say, Hey Timothy, you're coming with me to church. Hey Timothy, we're going to read the Bible before you go to bed. Hey Timothy, let's pray and let's have Bible time and let's love God and let me train you. It doesn't take, you don't need this society, this place. well, you know, the, the, the school teachers need to help and the counselors need to help and, and, and the coaches need to help. And all. No, look, all it takes is you and God. That's it. It doesn't take a village. You know, this idea that, well, we, we, need to have, we need to have the whole community help raise our children. You know, did that work out for Noah? Noah lived in the most godless generation that ever was. I mean, God, it was so wicked that God destroyed everyone, literally killed everybody in the flood. And yet, Joe, Noah was able to raise three young men and find them three wives. 
we do that? Not with the village. Oh, that was bad. You know, so it's, it's a great encouragement to see there that Timothy was able to turn out for God even in a broken home, even in a dysfunctional family, even where, where everything wasn't perfect, God can still do His work. And that's a great encouragement there. Look at verse 2. Talking about Timothy, it says, "...which was well reported of the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium." Notice verse 3. "...him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him, because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek." Now it's very interesting. And let me just say, Paul's one of the greatest Bible characters in, in, in the Bible. And obviously one of the greatest Christians who ever lived, probably. But Paul was wrong for what he did right here. You say, well, well how do you know that? Because look at what it says. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him. So he said he took this grown man, and he circumcised him. And look what it says. Because, underline that word, if you don't mind writing about underline this word. Because of the Jews which were in those quarters. Hey, you know, we got a, a lot of, a lot of uh, kids here tonight, you know. You kids need to realize this right now. Just learn this right now. And you adults, you might want to learn this too. If you ever do anything because, you know, you're trying to do it to please somebody, you know, we call that peer pressure, that, right there, right off the bat, if you ever do anything because someone else is doing it, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Period. Even if you're doing a good thing. Now, he wasn't doing a good thing. But even if you're doing a good thing, if you're doing it just because, you know, well, I want people to see me, or they're, they're doing it, or whatever. Every teenager that, that, you know, does drugs, they do it because their friends are doing it. Period. Every teenager who smokes, they do it because their friends are doing it. Period. Nobody decides, I think I'm going to go, you know, get a cigarette and give myself cancer. You know, and spend thousands of dollars a year of my money, you know, and get myself addicted on drugs. They do it because their friends are doing it. They, they smoke because their friends are doing it. They drink because their friends are doing it. They, you know, are not pure because their friends are doing it. And by the way, adults do it for the same reason. You do drugs, I can probably write, if anybody's ever done drugs, it was because their friends are doing it. Period. And that's always the wrong reason to do anything. You should never do anything because you're trying to please somebody else. You know, Paul should have had a biblical reason, but Paul didn't have a biblical reason because there is no biblical reason. Go over to Galatians chapter number 6. Galatians chapter number 6. Now, Galatians is roughly, you know, I don't know, 14 to 15 years, I believe, after the book of Acts. And look at what Paul says. Because here's the beauty about Paul. When he made a mistake, he didn't just, you know, take this attitude where, I don't care, you know, don't try to prove me wrong. He was able and mature enough to say, hey, you know what, I was wrong about this, and he got right, he learned, he matured. And look what, look what Paul says in Galatians chapter number 6. Look at verse number uh, 12. Galatians chapter number 6, look at verse 12. The Bible says, as many as desire to make a fair show. Notice what he's saying. It's very interesting. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh. He's saying... If you're trying to put on a show, if you're doing something because people are watching you, because you want people to see you, they constrain you to be circumcised. It sounds like Paul's talking from experience. He's been here, you know? It says, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. 
For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid... See, Paul had learned at this point in his life that, he, that what he had done was wrong. And now he's saying, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross for our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. You see that? Very interesting there. And by the way, you know, this isn't even my notes, I just thought about this, but... Let me just give you a hint when it comes to studying the Bible. Okay? In the Bible, whenever the narrator is speaking in the Bible, for example, the book of Galatians, when Paul is speaking, because he wrote the book, that's God speaking. Okay? In the book of Acts, when it's the narrator, which we know is Luke, who was used to write the book of Acts, when the narrator is is speaking to, to us, that's God speaking, okay? That's, that's good. You, you can take that to the bank. That is good doctrine. Galatians 6, you know, 12, what we just read, that's good doctrine. Here's where people get mixed up. In the Bible, sometimes we're reading a story, and we're reading what somebody did, okay? Now, just because somebody did something in the Bible does not make that right. Now, the Bible is right in telling us that they actually did that. That's true. Paul actually circumcised Timothy. But the Bible is just telling us the account of what he did. That doesn't mean that that's right. That doesn't mean, you know, we shouldn't take that as a, as a scripture and say, See, Paul uh, circumcised Timothy, so we should circumcise grown men in our church, because that's what Paul did. But see, most people get confused like that. But then we look at Galatians, and we understand that Galatians is telling us a direct statement and saying, Hey, don't circumcise. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Hopefully I'm not confused. I, I, let me give you another example. I, like I said, I don't have this in my notes. Uh, but let me see if I can find it real quick. There's a good example of this. Uh, go to... Uh, let's see if I can find it. Luke, I believe... Yeah, Luke chapter number 2. Go with me to Luke chapter number 2. Look at what the Bible says. Okay? Very interesting. Luke chapter number 2. I'm kind of going on a rapture. This wasn't even my notes, but I, I just want to show you this, okay? How to read your Bible. Look at what it says. Luke chapter number 2, look at verse 40. This is talking about Jesus Christ. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. So it's talking about Mary and Joseph. They took Jesus down with him every year to Jerusalem for the Passover. And when he was 12 years old... They went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. So notice, Jesus is a 12-year-old boy, and they are going down to Jerusalem as the custom of the feast. Look at verse 43. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. Do you see that? Now it's very interesting. Verse 43, okay? That is the narrator, okay? That is... Luke telling us the events that happened. Do you understand what I'm saying when I'm talking about the narrator? Does anybody understand it? Am I just confusing you? Do you understand what I'm saying? You, I see Brother Hudson shaking his head, my wife shaking his head. Anybody else confused as to what I'm saying? The, the person who's telling us the story, okay? Those words are God speaking through him, okay? So when the Bible says in verse 43, And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And notice what the narrator of the Bible is very careful to say, Okay? Because it's God speaking through Luke. And Joseph, okay, so he calls him Joseph, and his mother knew not of it. Okay? Keep reading, look at verse 44. 
But they supposing him to have been in the company went a day's journey and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintances. So, so just so you understand the story. Mary and Joseph thought Jesus, 12 year old Jesus was with them. So they leave. They think, because you know they're traveling with family, with a big group. They think Jesus is with them. They travel a day's journey away from Jerusalem and they realize Jesus isn't with us. Look at verse 45. And when, so they went back to Jerusalem. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, so they go three days, they lost Jesus for three days. If I was Mary, I'd be thinking to myself, man, God must be mad. <laughs> he gave me his son to take care of him, and I lost him for three days, right? Look at verse 3. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. So Jesus, 12 years old, keep in mind, in the temple, sitting with doctors, sitting with scribes, lawyers, and he's asking them questions, answering their questions. Look at verse 47. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answer. So they're like, wow, this 12-year-old knows the Bible so well. Look at verse 48. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, now notice, now we're going to read what Mary said. No longer the narrator speaking. He's quoting what Mary said. Look what she says. Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, notice what she says. Thy father... And I have sought thee sorrowing. Now, hold up right there. Was Joseph the father of Jesus Christ? No, he was not. Who was Jesus Christ's father? God. The Bible tells us, John 3, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son. That word begotten means He came from His vows. He came from Him. We're all, if you're saved, you're a child of God. But Jesus Christ was the only begotten Son of God. He was the only Son that actually came from the Father. Okay? So His Father. Now, did you notice back in verse 43, when the narrator is speaking, look at the last part of verse 43. The narrator, Luke, God says, Joseph and his mother... Knew not of it. So the word of God is very careful to refer to him as Joseph. But Mary refers to him as, you know, thy father and I have sought thee. So is that a correct statement? Now it is a true statement in the fact that that's what Mary actually said. But we can't take that as doctrine and say, see there, Jesus, you know, he wasn't God because his father was Joseph. We can't take that as doctrine because that's just a human speaking. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? And look, and, and look at, and just to make it clear, look at what Jesus says to her. Because what did she just say? Thy father and I, and I have sought thee sorrowing. So Jesus hears her say this. Jesus hears her call Joseph his father. And notice what he says. And he said unto them, Oh really? How is it that ye sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business. Do you see how he's correcting her? He's saying, Oh really? Well, if he's my father, then why are you looking for me? Because I'm actually doing my father's business right now. Being in the temple, talking about the word of God, preaching the Bible and teaching. That's my father's business. So he's actually correcting her and saying, hey, and look, Jesus wasn't disrespectful. Jesus wasn't rude. Joseph was his stepfather. And he was very polite to him, I'm sure, and he obeyed him. But Joseph was not Jesus' father. Okay? And that's a very good example there. And people will often say, they'll say, see, there's a contradiction in the Bible. No, that's not a contradiction in the Bible. Okay, the Bible says that the devil is a father of lies, and there is no truth in him. Yet the Bible will quote for us things that the devil said. Does that mean that the Bible is lying? No, it's just quoting for us 
what a liar said. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when you're studying the Bible, you can't make doctrines out of stories or out of things that people did or things that people said. You must only make doctrines out of things that we know came out of the mouth of God. And it's very interesting that what God said was Joseph and his mother. What Mary said, who by the way was just a sinner, was just a woman, not perfect, she made a mistake. And she's called Joseph her father, and Jesus was very quick to correct that and say, No, actually, I'm doing my father's business right now. Okay, that's very interesting there. And you know, I just thought of this too. Like I said, this wasn't even in my notes. But let's take this new international version here, what I like to call the non-inspired version, because it's a piece of trash. It's, a per- it's not a version of the Bible, it's a perversion of the Bible. And that, it's very interesting because look at what the Bible, what, you know, look at what the Bible says there in Acts 43. It says, And when they had fulfilled the days, they returned the child to Jesus, tarried behind Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew, it, knew not of it. And in Luke chapter number 2, in verse 43, I didn't look at this before the service, I'm just, I, I'm pretty sure this is what it says. Uh, let's see. Okay, it's hard to find the verses here, uh, because they try to hide them. Man, it's hard to find these verses in this in this thing right here. Okay, verse 43 says this. After the feast was over, okay, notice what it says. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home. Is that the right verse that I'm trying to read? The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. What did they cut out? Did you catch that? Notice that the King James Bible was very clear to call him Joseph and his mother. But the NIV did. But notice what they didn't cut out. Uh, Verse, where was it where Mary called him uh, her father? Verse 48. See if I can find it. They try to hide the verses here because they skip verses. They don't want you to know it. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said unto them, Son... Why have you trusted, uh, treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. So notice they left the part where they called Joseph his father, but they took out the part where the Bible made it clear that no, 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 that's Joseph and his mother. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's, you know, these Bibles here, and there's, there's, a, you know, there's a reason why there's like a thousand versions of the Bible. I mean, if you think about it, if God said one thing, Shouldn't we have that one thing in one book, you know? Or if, 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 if all these Bibles are true, shouldn't they say the exact same thing? Because then God just say one thing. But it's interesting, the King James Bible goes into great, you know, uh, strains to, to tell us, no, 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 that's Joseph and his mother. But the NIV just cut that out. Just, you know, left that part out, but they, they didn't leave the part out where Mary called them. And they shouldn't leave that out, obviously, because that's part of the Word of God. But, you know, anyway, I went off on a rabbit trail, but you need to understand, don't take stories, okay? People, you know, don't look in the Old Testament, you know, don't look at all these people there. Well, they have multiple wives, so it must be okay to have multiple 
multiple wives. No, the Bible is very clear that you should be the husband of one wife. Okay, the Bible is very clear that God, you know, made male and female, created them. You know, He created one. He created Adam and Eve. He created one wife. Okay, and it's very. Jesus very clearly stated that that He created one man for one. You know, for one man, and that's an eternal bond there. And He's against divorce and all that. But you know, people will say, "Well, David had a couple." Well, yeah, we all do sin. Okay, does that make sense? Don't take the story over the statement, is what I'm trying to say. Don't take the quote over the statement. So we shouldn't look at Acts 16. Let's go to, back to Acts 16. You shouldn't look at Acts 16 and, and think to yourself, oh, well, he must have done the right thing. No, he didn't do the right thing, because in Galatians he told us he didn't do the right thing. He was talking about how it was a fair show. Actually, you know what, let's go back to Galatians, because we didn't finish reading that passage there. And you don't have to go back there if you already flipped out of it. I'll read it for you. Galatians chapter 6. Look what he says in verse 15. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. So you notice he said, look, circumcision availeth doesn't avail anything. Uncircumcision doesn't avail anything. He said, here's what avails something. A new creature. That's when you get saved. He said, in Christ Jesus, what matters is if you're saved. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised. It doesn't matter if you're not circumcised. But if you go back to Acts 16, Paul circumcised this grown man, Timothy, for one reason. Because of the Jews which were in those quarters. He did it because... And, he, and because this. For they knew all that his father was a Greek. So he wanted to be able to say, hey, like, hey, you know, Timothy, his dad's a Greek, but you know, he, he's alright because he's circumcised. That's the wrong... That's, that's wrong to do that. You know, and obviously Paul learned this lesson and he later on preached against it. But you know what's interesting? Here's another thing that's interesting. Do you remember? Go back to Acts 15, look at verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. In the last chapter... When these men crept in unawares, remember, they were trying to add circumcision to salvation. Now, Paul wasn't adding circumcision to salvation. He was just adding it to do it to please the Jews. But notice, Paul is fighting against circumcision. Chapter 15. Chapter 16, he's circumcising Timothy. Say, so, well, what does that tell us? Here's what that tells you. Alright? The Christian life is a constant battle. Just because you had a victory in something in chapter 15, doesn't mean you're going to have victory in chapter 16. And just because you had victory with something last week, doesn't mean you're going to have victory this week. Every day we got to be on our game. Every day we got to be in the Word. Every day we got to be in prayer. And every day we just got to be ready for that fight. Because you can't just say, oh, well, I got victory on, you know, this today. And I'll never have to worry about it again. No. As soon as we flip the page in your life, you're going to have to deal with that same issue. And you have to fight that same issue. And look, Paul was victorious and successful. Chapter 15, chapter 16, he made a mistake. Uh, so, so that was a bad thing that he did there in uh, chapter in, in verse three. Let's keep going. Look at verse four. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. Look at verse five. And so were the churches established in the faith. And notice what it says: and increased in number daily. Not only was Paul training a young man for the ministry, but Paul was having good success in the ministry. 
You say, what is considered a good success? Here's good success. Here's what I would consider good success. Increased in number daily. You know, that ought to be our goal at Verity Baptist Church, to increase in number daily. Every day be increasing. You know, and you say, well, how do we accomplish that? Well, let me show you how they accomplish that. Go back with me to Acts chapter number 5. Go back to chapter 5. Look at verse 42. Acts chapter number 5. And look at verse 42. You say, how, how did they do that? How, how were they having... Uh, how, how were they gaining a member every day? They were increasing in number every day. How was how that possible? Well, look at what they were already doing. Acts chapter number 5. Look at verse 42. Acts chapter number 5, verse 42. Here's how they did it. Look what it says. Acts 5.42. And daily... Okay, that means every day. In the temple... And in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So, how did they grow daily? Here's how they grew daily. They went soul winning every day. Every day. You say, do we go soul winning every day? No, we don't really have the manpower or the training ability. You know, I, I would love to go soul winning every day, but I, I can't, you know, i got to work and different things. But you know, our goal should be that our church grows to the place. And it's not just about church growth. Our goal should be that our church members get trained and get on fire for God and, and get so, you know, on fire and get so well trained that they can go out. That we literally have somebody out soul winning every day. That ought to be our goal. You know, I'm not saying that you should have a goal where you're going to go soul winning seven days a week. You know, but we should have a goal where we have somebody out every day knocking doors, every day getting someone saved, every day, you know, increasing, because that's how our church is going to grow. Soul winning, getting people saved, preaching the gospel. I mean, if you're here tonight, you're here because somebody knocked on your door, somebody talked to you with their mouth, or maybe we left an invitation, or maybe, but if you're here, you're here because of soul winning. That's it. That's how biblically churches grow. And if you're going to grow daily, you're going to have to go soul winning daily. And I'm not necessarily saying, you know, obviously if I ever become a full-time pastor, I'm going to go soul winning every day. But I'm, you know, I'm not saying you need to go soul winning every day. But we ought to be having so many people out soul winning where every day somebody's getting saved. Wouldn't that be great? Just every day someone, someone gets saved because of the soul winning ministry of Verity Baptist Church. That, ought to be, that would be success. That would be great. And in Acts 16, you see there that it says uh, in verse, where were we there? Verse uh, 4 and 5, or verse 5, go back to Acts 16. Verse 5, it says, And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, look at verse 6. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and notice what it says, don't miss this. this is, and this is really the part I wanted to get to tonight. We'll, we'll deal with this and we'll be done. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and notice what it says, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Okay, make note of that. After they were come to Messiah, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit, make note of this phrase, suffered them not. Okay? Paul's on his missionary journey. And he thinks to himself, I want to go preach the gospel in Asia. And the Holy Ghost, you know, the Bible says that they were forbidden by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost said, no, Paul, don't go to Asia. So he said, okay, well, you know, uh, Bithynia here seems like a good place. Maybe we'll go there and go soul winning, start a few churches, you know, see what God can do. And the Bible says that the Spirit suffered them. That word suffer there means to allow. He says the Spirit suffered them not. So he said, I'm going to go to Asia. The Spirit says no. He said, I'm going to go over here. The Spirit says no. 
Look at verse 8. And they passing by Messiah came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. So Paul sees a vision in the night. And by the way, Paul is an apostle, which is, Paul is, you know, the relationship that God has with these apostles is different than you and I. Okay, God does not speak through visions like this now. You know, Paul, God is speaking through the vision. You know, and people like to think, oh, well, I'm like the Apostle Paul. You know, I, I saw this vision and it told me to, you know, do this. You know, that's not true. You know, Paul was, if you're like Paul, then why was Paul used of God to write half of the New Testament? Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit of God came upon him, and, and the Bible says that, that God spoke his words through Paul. Okay, so that's why he's seeing this vision. You know, because he's an apostle. And, and the Bible is very clear that Paul was the last apostle. There are no more apostles. So, if you saw a vision at night, then, you know, it's probably just your high blood pressure or something else. But it's not God. Okay? Look, look at verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is a, like a state. Okay? It's a district of Greece. And the Bible says he saw this vision, and there stood a man of Macedonia, and prayed him, saying, the word pray means to ask, so he asked him, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. So notice, Paul has this vision, he's a man of Macedonia, so he's a man from this region of the world, you know, probably dressed like they were dressed at the time or whatever, and he says to Paul, hey, come over and help us. Look at verse 10. And after he had seen the vision, immediately... We endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Now this right here, you may have heard it, you may have not, but this is what's commonly known as the Macedonian call. Okay? This was a place where Paul had never gone. Macedonia. Part of Greece. Part of Europe. And when Paul went into Macedonia, it opened up a whole different world, a whole different continent. And many churches were established there, like the churches, like the church in Thessalonica, the church at Philippi. He went into these places. Now, it's very interesting, though, because you've got to ask this question. You know, we're not Calvinists at Verity Baptist Church. We don't believe that there's a sovereign God who chooses. You know, Calvinists teach... That God chooses, chooses who's going to go to hell and who's going to go to heaven. It has nothing to do with you. You get no choice in the matter. You don't have to believe. You don't have to... Nothing. God chooses... You know, it'd be like God just is like, you're going to heaven, you're going to hell. You're going to heaven, you're going to hell. You're, and, and for no reason. Just because. You know, and we're not Calvinists at Verity Baptist Church. We don't believe that. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The Bible says that whosoever will may come. The Bible says that anybody who wants to believe, the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So obviously, we get a choice. You know, God wants everybody saved. But you've got to ask this question. Why did God say no to Asia? Why did God say no to Bithynia? But then he said yes to Macedonia. Why did he say no, Paul? I don't want to send my missionary there. I don't want my, the gospel preached there. You know, why is that? And it's very interesting. And I'd like to show you that. Go back to the book of Matthew with me. Matthew, very first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter number 25. And we're going to just take, take a few minutes. We're not, we're, I've been preaching for 34 minutes. So we got, we got time to do this quickly. Look at Matthew 25, look at verse 14. 
Matthew 25. Matthew, very first book in the New Testament. Matthew 25. Look at verse 14. The Bible says in Matthew 25:14, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country. Now I want you to understand, this is a parable that Jesus Christ gave. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servant and delivered unto them his goods. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise he that had received two talents, he also gained other two. But he that had received one talent went and digged in the earth and hid the Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, well, thou, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. And lo, there thou, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant. The word slothful means lazy. He said, Thou wicked. I mean, he said, You are evil and slothful and lazy servant. Look what he says. Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received, received mine own with usury. He said, You could have at least, here's what he said, You could have at least put it in the bank. You know, the word usually means interest. He said, I could have at least gained it back with a little bit of interest. He said, you hit it? You dug it in the ground? Look at this, verse 28. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away, even as that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable, notice what he called him, the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now look, I could preach an entire sermon on this, and one day I will. But here's what I want you to gather from this story that Jesus told. God is an investor. God is interested in investing and He wants a return. The, this is a story of the Christian life. God says there are Christians who He's given five talents. God says there are Christians He's given two talents. God says there's a Christian He gave one talent. And the man with five talents, He went out and He brought back five more talents. A total of ten. The man with two talents went out and brought back two more talents. A total of four. The one with one didn't do anything with it and God was very upset. Why? Because God's an investor. God invests. And if you go back to Acts 16 with that idea there, you say, why did God say, go to Macedonia, but not to uh, these other cities? Here's why. Here's why I believe. Okay? Because the minute that Paul stepped into Europe, into Greece, and then went there and started churches, God, I believe, saw a people in Europe there. If you remember from... 
from history class in school, you may under, you may understand this. Shortly after the age of the church, you know, shortly, depending how you're considering it, you know, many years after, Europe, for a long time, became the powerhouse of Christianity for the world. For the longest time, Europe sent out missionaries all over this world, preaching the gospel, getting people saved. And I believe that God looked down and saw in Europe, and He saw one missionary, Paul, with his partner Silas, with his, with his uh, trainee there, Timothy. And He said, I got one opportunity. And I can send them to Asia. I'm sure they'll get people saved. I can send them to over here. I'm sure they'll get people saved. But if I send them to Macedonia, I know there are people there who are going to get saved, but they're going to do more than get saved. They're going to grow, and they're going to mature, and they're going to start churches, and they're going to make a huge power. that he would get the most bang for his buck. Did you know that Europe is the reason? Obviously, I'm sure you understand this. Europe is the reason America was influenced by Christianity. And when Europe decreased in their influence of the gospel, guess who took it over? America. And there is no country in the face of this world that sends out more missionaries, that prints out more Bibles, that starts more churches, that finances more of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world right now than the United States of America. And it all happened because Paul got a vision from a man saying, Hey, come over to Macedonia. Hey, don't go to Asia where they're worshipping idols right now. Don't go to the Middle East where they've rejected the Lord Jesus. Don't go to Africa, where they're, where they're you know, into that witchcraft and, and all those different things. He says, come over to Macedonia. And God saw people there. And He said, you know what? I'm going to invest right there. Because that's where I'm going to get the most bang for my buck. They'll make sure that the Middle East gets the gospel. They'll make sure that the Africans get the gospel. They'll make sure that America gets the gospel. And I'm going to send you there, Paul. Why? Is it because God's a mean God? No, it's because He's a smart investor. He invests. Look, look at Acts 16, look at verse 3. Him, talking about Timothy, would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him, and because of the Jews which were in these quarters, look what it says, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. Do you think it's a coincidence that Timothy joins up with Paul and Silas, who is half Greek, and the next event that happens, God is telling him to go into Greece, to go into Macedonia? That's not a coincidence. God did that. Because you know what? And here's, here's what you got to understand. And, and you know, let's just do it quickly. If I go a little bit over, I apologize. Um, you know, take it out of my check. But go to uh, Acts... Uh, let's see. Where do I want to take you? Go to Matthew 13. Look at one verse. Matthew 13, 58. Matthew 13, 58. Matthew 13, 58. Look at... Jesus in His ministry was going around healing people, having great services, great crowds. Look at Matthew 13, 58. Actually, look at verse 57. And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country, and in his own house. Look what it says, verse 58. And he, talking about Jesus, did not many mighty works there, because of their unbelief. Okay? The Bible tells us that Jesus went to a city, and he didn't do any mighty works. He didn't heal people. He didn't do much of anything. Why? Because he chose to condemn those people? No, because of their unbelief. You know what the Bible is trying to teach us? God is an investor. 
God wants a return on His investment. God does not choose a location. God did not choose the United States of America because He loved the USA and because of the red, white, and blue. You know, I don't know if you know this. God is not an American. <laughs> you know, God is above that. He didn't choose America to bless America because He just wants to choose it because we're better than everyone. He saw a group of people that He could use. See, God chooses... God is looking for a worker. And when He finds a worker, He'll invest in that worker. When He saw Timothy, this young Greek who was interested in the ministry, he said, you know what, Paul? Why don't you go to Macedonia? And guess what? All throughout the Gospels, you find Paul sending Timothy to the Thessalonians, to Philippi, to Ephesus. He's sending to all these churches where he can minister. You see what I'm saying? God is an investor. You say, what does that have to do with anything? People often ask me this. Pastor Jimenez, do you believe that God can do something in Sacramento using Verity Baptist Church? And here's, here's my honest answer. God will do a great work in this city using this church if He can look down at our church and say, that's a good investment. Do you understand what I'm saying? God has given you something. Five talents, two talents, one talent. And He wants to see what you're going to do with what He gave you. See, at Verity Baptist Church, if you come here, you know, for whatever it's worth, I understand our church may be lacking in a lot of different areas, but for whatever it's worth, when you come here, you get heavy doses of this book right here. And here's what God and here's what God is looking to see. When you're given that scripture, when you're given that doctrine, when you're given that teaching, when you're given that opportunity, when you're given those things, God's wanting to see what are you going to do with the talents He gave you. And if He can trust you and say, "Hey, that guy right there, that's a good investment." Hey, God will put a blessing on that. And God will use that. God will use Paul. God will use Timothy. But the question is this. Are you a Macedonian or are you an Asian? Can God look down at you? You say, how do, you, you say, how do I know if I'm a good investment? Here's how you know if you're a good investment. What are you doing with what you've already been given? What are you doing with what you... I, I'm amazed. I will preach an, I'll, I'll preach an entire sermon on soul winning. I mean, just up and down the Bible, proving soul winning from the Bible. An hour and six minute sermon, just preaching, and I'll have somebody come up to me after the service. Uh, that was a great sermon, but I just don't think that's for me. And this is what I think to myself. God gave you something. And now He's seeing what you're going to do with it. See, some of us are going to take that and say, oh, I'm not, not going to do anything with it. I'm just going to hide it. And I'll just give it back to Him. Here, God, you taught me this. Here, God, you gave me this. Here, God. And you know what God says? You're slothful. You're unprofitable. He says, you're worthless. He says, I'm not going to invest in you. He said, in fact, take what we gave him. Did you catch in the story? That they took from the man that had one, and they gave it to the man that had ten. Why? Because God's an investor. God's smart with his money. Hey, if you're investing money in the stock market, are you going to keep it somewhere where it's just, you keep losing money, you keep losing money, you keep losing money? It's not good money. It's not good finances. And God will invest in you. God will invest in me. But the Bible says that God is not a respecter of persons. God can use me as much as He can use Paul. God can use you as much as He can use Timothy. But why does He use certain people greatly and certain people very little? Not because of anything He's doing, but because of what they are doing. Here's a question. Are you worth the investment? That's the question. Will God bless Verity Baptist Church and use us in a great... And, I, and He's already has used us in a great way. We have had over 130 people saved or something close to that. I mean, praise the Lord for that. But can God do mighty works? Well, here's the question. Will he look down and see a good investment? God looked down at Macedonia and he said, You know what? I just think I'll get more return 
in Macedonia. So Paul, just go. I, I know Asia needs the gospel, but we only we have limited funds. We gotta do the most we can with it. And God has given you things. God has given you teaching. God, I mean, you know, as far as pastoring is concerned, I don't know if we're doing a good job or not, but I, I do know this. I will not stand before God and have to answer for not giving you doctrine, for not giving you teaching, for not giving you Bible. That's one thing I won't have to stand before God for. God's giving you talents. What are you doing with them? Are you, are you a good investment? Let's bow our heads and have a word. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for our church. And Lord, thank you for the Macedonian call. Lord, every single one of us that is saved in this room is saved because Paul went into Macedonia. Man, praise the Lord that God looked down. We're going to get into uh, when, when Paul goes into Macedonia and meet the, uh, Lydia and the Philippian jailer. And thank God that God saw people worth investing in. Father, we love you. Thank you for our church. Thank you for your Bible. In your precious name I pray. Amen.